Good morning. Welcome. What a wonderful, blustery, and bright day God's given us. Uh, praise him for his, his goodness. And he does reign. So today we'll be in Genesis 27, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 30. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your wisdom, for your guidance, and for protecting us, for providing for us, and the health you've given us to be able to gather. And we do lift up those, Lord, who are sick at this time, who are going through difficult seasons of life. We pray that you would uphold them and that they would see you in your glory. And Lord, we, we draw near to you now, desiring for you to speak, for you to minister your truth to our hearts, that we might be changed Thank you for challenging us, for encouraging us and correcting us, for guiding us in your truth by your Holy Spirit. And pray that you would fill us now, Lord. Give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to understand what you're saying and that we could put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 27, 30. As a kid growing up, we had after dinner chores. We would all pitch in and help out with sweeping the floor and clearing the dishes, washing and rinsing and putting them away and wiping the range and the table. And one time I decided it would be funny to poke my brother with the broom. There's a couple of little pokes, like <laughs> a little poke to the leg. But I was ignorant that like this corn bristle broom, those things are sharp. And so I had all these, there's all these pinholes in his leg. And uh, he protested, he's like, look at this. My mom's like, okay, well, you know, have a go at him. So he was allowed to go at me, and I felt quite hard done by that he went a bit harder than I did. He did it more times than I did, but fair enough. Uh, I, I, at the time, I excused, I would have been happy to overlook my fault. You know, it was out of ignorance. It wasn't malicious. And I was happy to excuse that damage that I did. I'm like, well, I didn't mean to do any harm. And then I blamed him for cutting me. Like, look, look at what you did to me. This is worse than what I did to you. And feeling like I was hard done by. But I think that, that situation illustrates well our human tendency to excuse ourselves and to blame others. To find fault where we did the exact same thing. Um, and, and as objective as we imagine ourselves to be, our self-justification, despite our faults, and our condemnation or blaming of others, it's expertly tuned to favor our own interests and ourselves. Have you noticed this about yourself? Uh, I did and I still do, that we can be shamelessly utilitarian and transactional with people and even God if it means getting our way. Now, Isaac, in our passage, he had, he had chosen to secretly bless Esau, his preferred son, the son that he loved, and the scheme of Rebekah and Jacob to steal that blessing. Like, oh, I, I want Jacob to be blessed, not Esau. And really, the whole situation shows how self-serving we can be. It's not just about them. It's, it's indicative of us, and it's good for us to understand this, because if you humbly read the Bible, you will catch glimpses of yourself when there's sinners involved because we're made of the same stuff. We can identify with the, the issues that people have in the Bible, though the situation and circumstances may be different. There may not be a blessing spoken before the Lord that you're vying for, but there's other things, right? 
And because we're made of all the same human stuff of Adam, we can identify with Esau. And so instead of excusing or sympathizing with or demonizing Esau, God gives him for our learning. And he's provided this example that we can glean and contemplate and think about so that we might be changed to be more like Jesus. So Genesis 27, 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. Jacob had just brought this barbecue feast to his dad, Isaac, who was blind. And he was disguised as his older twin, Esau. Now Isaac was suspicious. He heard the voice. He's like, that's Jacob's voice. But then he felt him and he's like, well, that's got, that's got to be Esau. No one is hairy like that. That goat skin disguise. And right after he blesses him, Jacob gathers the stuff and he leaves. Esau's walking in. And he's just done the same thing. He went out hunting. He cooked the game. He's prepared it for his father. And he's expecting to receive a blessing. Except Isaac is really shocked that he's there. Saying, well, who are you? Well, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And it says, he trembled with a great trembling greatly. That's the Hebrew where he is shaking. He's like, what? No way. He cannot believe what's just happened. In that moment, he realized that his secret plan to bless Esau was known by God and he had been foiled. He was like a little kid who was told not to do something, was secretly doing it, not knowing that he was being watched the entire time. Like, hmm. And then you, you come to that, whoa. And I think being blind, that might even be more scary because you wouldn't know who was there. But Isaac knew God was there. He knew that God had seen. He was caught in the act. He trembled in fear before God who saw him. And he wondered out loud, well, who brought me that food then? Well, it didn't take very long to go, Jacob. Jacob did that. But surprisingly to me, Isaac didn't say anything negative about Rebecca or Jacob at all. He doesn't say anything like, uh, he doesn't make excuses either. Like, I knew there was someone fishy about that guy. Like, there was something going on. I knew it. He, he doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, uh, you know, I'll teach that liar a lesson or he's dead to me. Like, he doesn't threat. He, he is just like resigned to like, you know, I, I blessed him. It was an accident. I blessed him, but you know, he is blessed and he will be blessed. I made a mistake, but I blessed the correct person. God directed me to bless him. And he's getting this realization now in that moment. He would not deny this to save face before his preferred son. He didn't apologize or retract like, oh, I'm so sorry. He doesn't say that. He doesn't curse Jacob for his conniving ways. He's like, he knew that God had directed his words, that he had, God had overruled him in a sense. And what transpired was not according to Isaac's plan, but according to God's purposes and his promise. 
There was no excuses from the old man who finally resigned to submit to God in awe of him. Like God has spoken today. He has blessed and whom he has blessed, how can you curse them? And there's this resignation and humility in Isaac that's really good for us to uh, have displayed in our lives. Like it was, this blessing came in spite of Jacob, in spite of Isaac, all by the unmerited grace of God. It's not, God's grace is not according to the worthiness of the recipient, but out of his goodness, out of his uh, mercy and his power. So the reaction, verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Esau, estimated to be in his 70s at this time, he's loudly sobbing bitterly at the news that Jacob had been blessed and would be blessed. He's like, he is blessed and will be blessed. Esau did everything that Isaac required of him. Like he expected to receive the blessing. He went out, he, he did it, he, he ticked all the boxes. He, he hunted, he butchered, he barbecued, he brought it. It was all there and he's like, well, where's my blessing? And he's like, well, I don't have one. I gave it already to your brother. And he's just broken by this, but not broken. He points out how apt it was that Jacob, Yaakov, means supplanter, something, someone or something that takes away by force or a scheme or strategy. Though Jacob did come with a scheme to take that blessing, Esau overlooks the fact that he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentil soup. He sold it. But in this, he, he says, oh, he took it from me. But the reality was he parted with it willingly. He showed hatred for his birthright by agreeing to bargain with it and part with it at all. It was his given by God and he chose to give it away for a meal. Now the birthright and the corresponding blessing that was given to the firstborn through whom the line of the family would go. The blessing and the authority of the father was passed to the son and through generations. Now, this carried responsibility before God that Esau was not interested in. He didn't fear God. But at the same time, he liked the idea of material wealth and authority. The power that could come with having this birthright. He wanted to reap abundantly where he had not sown. He, he coveted blessing from the almighty God that he didn't care for or want to obey. He felt robbed when he had willingly relinquished what God gave him. And there's this repetitive theme we see throughout all his words. What is it? Me. Bless me. Me also. He repeats that again and again. And if he's not asking for me, He's blaming someone else. He's blaming Jacob for taking 
when he had given. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14. We get some insight here into the bitter heart of Esau. We'll see that it wasn't really Jacob that was behind this, but God who had rejected Esau. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau was not the victim in this tale. Jacob did not victimize him. He was blinded by selfishness, bitterness, rebellion before God. He was the willing slave of sin without repentance. And he sold his birthright when he wanted the blessing. And so God rejected him and gave it to his brother. From, they were, from the time before they were born, God chose to give it to Jacob, but Esau was still responsible for his own decisions, for his sin. And where he's described here as what? A profane and fornicator, one who is corrupted with bitterness and sexual impurity. And so he's lacking the blessing. His hopes are dashed. And so he's weeping for himself, not over his folly, not over his mistakes, but because he's not getting what he wants. Now, did God or Jacob prevent him from saying, I am sorry, dad. I'm sorry, God, that I would do such a stupid thing. I would be so foolish to give away what you gave me. No, no one stopped him from doing that, but we don't ever see him saying that. We don't ever read of him giving an offering to God at all, following his father's example. All he said was, bless me. I want blessing." There may be some people who side with Esau as the victim when he's not. I, I like what Tozer said. He said, we've gotten into this soft humanism in our time when we weep over rebels and imagine this is the divine order. So it's like he had rejected God. And so God withheld that blessing. And there was a blessing for him if he would submit to God. If he would humble himself before God in repentance. There's a blessing of repentance. There's a blessing of righteousness that God gives by his grace and there was a blessing for Esau if he would bless those whom God had blessed, but instead he was filled with cursing. When we have tears of contrition from a repentant heart, it's like God, that accompanies with forgiveness and healing, restoration. But if we shed tears out of a bitter, hardened heart, it's like it hardens us in rebellion against God. So he wanted the blessing. It says he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So what was he seeking? A blessing. It wasn't he was looking for repentance and couldn't find it. No, he would not. So thus he could not repent. He wept bitter tears about missing out on a blessing, but he denied himself the blessings of repentance, that connection with God, that healing that comes through forgiveness by the God who loves us by his grace. 
It's like he had an opportunity in that moment to repent, to draw near to God in faith, to be forgiven, to have a new life by God's grace. He could have been like Naaman the Syrian who's coming the seventh time out of the water and his leprous skin is now clean like a child's because of faith and obedience to God. He could have been like the woman who pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of Christ's garment, who for 12 years had suffered a flow of blood. And when she touched it, because of her faith, she was made whole in that moment. And the flow of blood stopped. At the tomb, Mary Magdalene, she wept over the empty tomb where, like, where's the body of Jesus? She's looking for his dead body. He's not, she's not able to find him. And then he meets her face to face and says, Mary. And she knows him and he knows her. Her tears were turned to joy. But Esau, he wept only for himself. He refused to repent. He was like that self-righteous tax collector, that uh, self-righteous Pharisee who's looking down on the tax collector. Like, thank God I'm not like him. Friends, have you found the blessing of repentance? When we repent of our sin, when we come to God knowing that we need forgiveness. And it's not because we want a blessing, but it's because he is blessed, he has blessed, and he will bless, trusting in him. Now the flesh, it, it fears the bitter medicine of repentance, but the end is sweetness for our souls. Once you've gone through that process and you realize, why did I resist? Why did I hold back from repentance when there was this acceptance and joy waiting for me? Falling upon God's mercy, knowing that we need him. Genesis 27, verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of my, of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau asked for a blessing and Jacob gave him one. I mean, excuse me, Isaac gave him one. It was one fit for a rebel. The blessing of a rebel, Hebrews 11:20, it affirms that Isaac was divinely inspired by these blessings he gave. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So he was unwittingly blessing Jacob, but he indeed was blessed. And then he blesses Esau. And when you compare these blessings that they both received, God was mentioned by name for Jacob, but not for Esau. God's not mentioned at all in Esau's blessing. And this shows me that God has blessings for every person, whether they're on this earth, whether they're rebels or whether they fear God. God blesses. He blesses us with life. He blesses us with everything that we enjoy about life. Even some things we don't enjoy, those can be blessings from the Lord. It's all from his gracious hand. But there are blessings that are withheld from us when we do not repent, when we do not Come to God in faith. There's a whole world of blessing that opens up to us when we humble ourselves before the Almighty God and we we acknowledge him as God and as our sovereign. 
all blessing is in him. So Esau, he would live by the sword, but he would be subservient to his brother in due time. The nation of Edom, it would be subdued before Israel and never the other way around. Uh, Edom never triumphed over Israel. But during the, ki- the reign of King Joram, Edom rebelled. It said in 2 Kings 8.20, In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. Esau would be restless like Ishmael was. There was rest for Esau if he submitted to God. But as long as he rebelled against God and refused repentance, he would be restless. He would be without rest. It says in Isaiah 57, 19 through 21, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So you have that picture of the tide, right? The wave after wave after wave. And it's just stirring that, that water where it's been stirred up, all that sand. It's not clear. You can't see it. And it's always churning, always moving. And this is a life that does not find rest in God. It is, there's no peace there. It's just troubled. It's like, you can rip the yoke. So Esau could rip the yoke of subservience to his brother, but he could not shed God's curse upon him. There was blessing in God, but he chose to really nurse a hatred against his brother. It's like, I am going to kill him when it's time. So after his tears were dried, He comforted himself with thinking, that guy's time is limited. I'm going to get him. And why? The Bible tells us. Because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. Now, there's two ways I read this. Esau was jealous of the blessing Jacob received. It was better than his. And he also hated the blessing he was given. He begged for a blessing. He was blessed. But it made him a servant of his brother. And he hated that. So it's like he hated the fact Jacob was blessed and he hated the blessing he was given. He wanted the blessing Jacob received. And it's really a throwback, his whole attitude to Cain, right? God received the offering of Abel, an offering of faith. God received his offering because he accepted Abel. Abel had faith in God. Therefore, his sacrifice was received. Cain, on the other hand, he was refused because he did not offer it by faith in God. Thus, his sacrifice was rejected. And what did Cain do? He met his brother in a field and killed him out of envy. Now, in this case, Esau, he plots to murder his brother Jacob. And what prompted this whole blessing business was his dad felt, I don't have long to live. I I don't know how far off death is for me, so I want to bless you before I die, Esau. He didn't know he was going to live another 40 years. But Esau, he's also thinking, well, dad's nearing the end. I'll wait for the days of mourning to be over. Then I'm going to kill Jacob. So it's like with, he's like sharpening the arrows. He's, uh, every time he goes hunting, he is honing his skill. As he slides that sharpening stone across his blade, it's just like, this is getting ready to taste my brother's blood. He, he is just plotting his revenge and that hatred is like murder in his heart. 
Jacob's actions were not to blame for the sin in Esau's heart. Turn to what Jesus said in Mark 7, 20 through 23. Oftentimes we assume that we are really victims of circumstances and because of what's transpired, we have no choice, but we have to act. In this case, Esau felt, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Jacob. Mark 7, 20, Jesus said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So the sin, it comes from within. It's not because we're in a world steeped with sin. It's because we are sinful and we respond to things sinfully. But praise God, Jesus, he gives us a new heart and he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Then you'll be children of the most high. So that's evidence that we are born again. We are new by his grace. And so when we're aware of these things rising up in our hearts, these ideas, these tendencies, before we act on them, let's refuse to blame others, confess our sin and repent. Picking up our passage in verse 42. And the words of Esau, her older brother, her older son, sorry, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob for her younger son, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother anger turns from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be, re be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Esau was not quiet about his intentions to kill his brother. And Rebecca, she's like got her finger on the pulse of the household. She's like heard her husband like, oh, he's going to bless uh, Esau, well, we got to get on that. And now she hears that Esau is planning to kill Jacob. And so she summons him and she tells him, well, your brother's comforting himself with the idea of killing you, which is not a comforting thought. So she says, I'm going to send you to my brother in Paddan Aram. And, um, you know, in a short while, his, his rage will burn out. And I'm sure she knew him. She knew his character. I was thinking of my brother. He was my best friend growing up. He could be easily riled up. But he also had this amazing quality. In a matter of minutes, he could be furious, but then it would be like nothing had happened. It had passed, like the, the emotions had been dealt with, and he was a, we were best friends again, and it was lovely because there was no grudges or bitterness. It was like, all right, let's play. Let's do something. And so that was uh, something I learned about him. And so Rebecca, she knew this about her son. She's like, well, he's a bit hot-headed, but in time, things will simmer down. It'll be all right. And then I'll send word to bring you back. What she didn't know is that the day that Jacob left would be the last she would see him because he would be away for uh, 20 years. 
Now Rebecca speaks to her husband. Jacob was a schemer, but Rebecca is no slouch. In fact, I think she's just as good at scheming as her son because she says nothing to Isaac about Esau's murderous plot. She doesn't say anything about that at all because Isaac probably wouldn't hear it, but they shared a dislike of Esau's wives. It says in uh, Genesis 26, 35, they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So this was a meeting point for them. We agree on this, that they have disrupted our household. There are issues in the house because of these wives that he's taken. And they both prepared, they preferred that they would marry among their own people, their own kin. And so Rebecca's like, oh, I hate my life because of Esau's wives. You know, if Jacob were to marry a wife from the Canaanites, what good would my life be to me? Like, it's just rough. I can't imagine that. And Isaac was very supportive of the idea. Remember, Rebecca had been sent for to come from Paddan Aram. This had been a great match. And so he's like, you know, that is better for Jacob's future, for the family's future, for the stability and, and the future of our family. So yeah, we'll see that he was in agreement with that. He would be inclined to agree with this line. There were a lot of advantages to marrying with, to marry within a tribe or a family group. This helped maintain a social structure, it preserved power and wealth of the family so they weren't just amalgamated into a, a larger group. It fostered alliances, you'd have shared values and, and wanting the benefit of the family. That would be very important. So moving on to Genesis 28 verse one, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Rebekah and Isaac talk together. They discuss. And then Isaac summons his son Jacob and he sends him away to Paddan Aram, about 800 Ks northeast from where they were. And he sent him away with a blessing. It's like he doubled down on the blessing that he had given him previously. And in his words and his demeanor, there is no hint of resentment that he had been tricked. There's no anger or frustration. There is blessing. There is love seen here. The godly man having accepted God's choice of Jacob to have birthright and blessing, though he was the younger son. And so he blessed him and he also gave him a charge. He says, you're responsible to do this. Do not marry among the Canaanites. You must go to this household and pat in a ram, Uncle Laban's house, and that's where you will find your bride. And then Isaac affirms the promise that God made to Abraham upon the life of Jacob, that he would be blessed, that he would be a blessing, that his descendants would inherit the land that God had given him. This, his nepotism towards Esau really had dried up by faith in God and he blessed Jacob knowing his true identity that he was the one through whom this blessing would be passed through generations. Now one thing I find 
admirable in uh, admirable in Isaac is this reverence for God and a respect for his dad, Father Abraham. And he doesn't appeal to some low paternal motives to get his son to obey, like, you know, make me proud, son, or don't embarrass me, right? <laughs> don't, don't be dumb like I was or something. Like he, he just points to God. He, it's like he gets out of the way. There's no I or me in anything that he says. He just says, may God do this for you. May God bring the blessing of Abraham upon your life. He didn't promote himself like he had anything to give, like he had any authority in himself. It was all about God and God's blessing to him. And I think he does hear what Paul writes about in Romans 12. He's not a man who thought more of himself than he ought to, but he trembled before him. And this faith in God brought a purity of motive in Isaac that was foreign to Esau, who's just like, bless me, do this for me. And he's saying, may God bless you. See how different it is? Isaac to Esau? Isaac wasn't primary focused on any blessing he could provide, but what God would for the glory of God. And it wasn't like he was doing it for Isaac. Like Isaac was going to be living vicariously through him that he would be somehow more satisfied if his son behaved in the appropriate way, but his satisfaction was in God. And such a good example for us because whether we're conversing with our children or our spouse or with others about the gospel, you know, we're, we're messengers. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We don't have anything to give. We can't change anything, but God, doesn't he change everything? He changes us. He gives us hope and a future and we are blessed in him. And so by God's grace, we have the privilege to know him, to follow him. And I think we can see it in, in people that will, let's say, urge their children on to, to excel in sports or in school or in a successful career. It's like they're seeking their own satisfaction through someone else. And they want that sort of blessing, I guess, that, that temporal blessing that comes from feeling like you've succeeded in something without personal risk without having to go out there and do it yourself, you can celebrate their success as if it's your own. And it's possible that we could want to see people come to faith for our sakes, for their comfort, for our comfort, rather than the glory of God. And if they stumble or stray, we can take personal offense as if it reflects poorly upon us, rather than seeking to give God the glory from start to finish. And so we can have a focus on like a doctrinal difference or, or uh, something other than being right with God. And so it's good for us to be checking our own hearts and our own motives that we're not looking for other people to bless us like Esau saying, bless me, bless me by the things you're doing or not doing. But we would see we already have this blessing of God by his grace because we know him and he knows us. Genesis 28 verse six. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take, for, take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. 
Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Hmm. So Esau sees that Jacob's been blessed. He's been sent away. And his dad said, do not marry of the daughters of Canaan. It's like, well, Esau did that twice in a day. <laughs> he had already made that mistake. Uh, and so he decided to marry within the family. It's like, this is a way that I can be blessed if I marry within the family and I marry of the line of Abraham. Except it was like going from bad to worse because Ishmael had been rejected and sent away. And so he seeks out Ishmael and adds a third wife. And it's like, we can have this approach in trying to please God. We imagine that the things we do, we can earn blessings for ourselves and really sin by unbelief to God in his word and the things that he said and directed us to do. So without a change of heart, without repentance, nothing we do can be pleasing to God. It says so in Hebrews 11.6 that faith in God is necessary to please him. It says Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So our efforts to make ourselves acceptable they are vain. Just like this picture here where Esau's like, I'm going to get a blessing if I do some, like what my dad said. But he just didn't understand. He was without understanding, without repentance. Our attempts to make ourselves righteous and acceptable before God, in our flesh, they are vain. But the example of Abraham and Isaac, we see genuine righteousness is by faith in God. And faith is shown by obedience to God. Now the antithesis of Hebrews 11.6, it's with faith it is possible to please God. Believing that he is a rewarder of those that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't that awesome? That we can do things that are pleasing to God. The prophet Isaiah six, in 64 verse 5, it says, Compared to God, we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness, righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And it would be awful exegesis to say, it doesn't matter what you do. That's not what that passage is saying at all. The context is that man's righteousness our righteousness and our best efforts to try to make ourselves acceptable to God, things done by self-serving motives or in the name of serving him so that we can be satisfied, our efforts to measure up, that's rubbish before God. That's the purpose of that verse being said. But it's not that we can't please God by doing what pleases him. That does please him when we walk in faith. When we repent, this is pleasing to God, believing that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jacob was blessed of God when he listened to his father and obeyed. And for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we've been born again. He is become righteousness for us. We have repented of our sin by his grace. We've received the blessing of salvation. 
And thus we seek to please God by obeying him. It's like love of God now motivating us rather than trying to earn a blessing for ourselves. May God search all our hearts and reveal when we are all about me. Because that's our natural tendency to just think about what concerns us. We can be like Esau instead of submitting to God in faith and repenting. Being obedient like Isaac. I really love this and I, I encourage you to read it in one uh, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 1. I don't have time to read through the whole thing, but I'll summarize. It says at the beginning, Paul wrote this to the church in Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. And that is so cool because they had heard of their faith in God. They were praying for them and their faith in God was evidenced by their love, their love for everyone, their love for all the saints. And he prayed God's will for them. And that's God's will for us too, that they would have knowledge of God's will, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So we see again, we can walk in a way that is fully pleasing to God, fruitful in every work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the father who's qualified us to be partakers of his grace. So it's all his work. And we can do things that are fully pleasing into him. And it's faith that enables us to do that. It's God who helps us to do that. So may we receive by faith that blessing of righteousness as we embrace the blessing of repentance. Really our God who is blessed. Repentance for sin, it ought to end with rejoicing and praising and thanksgiving unto God. It's not just being stuck in sorrow for sin. It takes us beyond that because it draws us. It's us turning again to God, turning away from the sin, away from the way we've been and looking to God who is our savior and the lover of our souls. So let's uh, take that full circle. Let's go all the way with our repentance to rejoicing in the Lord and his goodness to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for this, uh, I guess, example between Isaac and Esau of whether we will find a place in our hearts for repentance, if we'll walk in faith and love, or we will um, go our own way. So we thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls our names, who seeks us, who will leave the 99 to go after the one that is lost and wandering and the one that draws us to yourself. And thank you, Lord, for the response of Isaac here, where in faith in God, he blesses, he does not curse. And I pray that that would be uh, marking our lives too, Lord, that you would fill our mouths with blessing, with thanksgiving for rejoicing in faith, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are sovereign and rule over all, and knowing that you are worthy to be praised and glorified. And so, Lord, we want to live in the way that fully pleases you. And thank you for giving each a measure of faith, for giving us an opportunity to receive blessing and to walk in it. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, follow the example of Jesus, who humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and bore that cross 
and you have exalted him, Lord, above all others. And may daily we be those who bow before him in reverence, who give him the honor and praise that he is worthy of, and that we praise and, and just exalt his holy name. And thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters and for this truth. And I pray you'd continue to strengthen us and equip us to be your faithful ministers in Jesus' name. Amen.